Lord, you are my portion and my cup. In the name of God, who is Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. To hear people say that something someone did for them or said to them made them feel seen. That made me feel so seen, we might say. Or, I just need somebody to see me. Like anything, it's a turn of phrase that can be overused and probably use its meaning, especially in the internet age. But, it is a good thing to see someone to acknowledge, to understand the person for who they are is surely a great virtue, and to be seen, a great gift in any community or any relationship. On Tuesday last week, I opened the e-news to do my weekly editing, one of the regular tasks that I have done week by week during my time as your curate. Well, at least since last August, when my duties evolved, you might say. <laughs> I opened the e-news, and I'll tell you, friends, I felt so seen. When I read that after Mass today, we are going to say goodbye over a proper English tea. <laughs> I thought, they see me. <laughs> they know me. Truly beloved, over these last two years, you have seen your curate. And I assure you, I have seen. Because you have seen me, it probably won't surprise you to learn that one of my favorite television shows is the majestic Downton Abbey. And that one of my favorite characters in the show is the inimitable Mr. Carson, the butler. Now, if you don't know him, just think of the most proper butler who likes everything exactly in its place relishes in tradition and decorum, but with a hidden sense of humor and a soft spot for others that shows when it needs to. Now, Mr. Carson, he really struggles with change, and he's quick to express consternation at anything new-fangled. The series takes place over many years, in a time of intense societal change leading up to and following the First World War. Lately, here in our own times, I've had some of Mr. Carson's words on my mind. 
in our own time of societal change and disruption, in the unprecedented last two years of life that we have shared together in this place, I've heard them spoken in his firm yet soft voice. I feel a shaking of the ground I stand on, he says once. That everything I believe in will be tested and held up for ridicule over the next few years. A shaking of the ground I stand on. Mr. Carson says it about the 1920s and the things he can't understand about them. We could say it today, couldn't we, friends? ground and shaking as we've navigated months and months of pandemic uncertainty, exiled to our homes for so long, and then two steps forward, one step back, as we've learned to live in new who led us through that time, the beloved rector of nine years, received a new call, called by God to new pastures, to a new flock. And in all of this, fear. Fear that nothing will be the same as it once was, that even church will be changed. Maybe because we gather differently, or pray differently, or because we miss people we used to take for granted would be here. Because we know that we've changed, and we relate to God and to one another differently than we used to. And we've experienced other fears too. Real fears. Our black siblings, afraid the next traffic stop could be their last. The ugly jaws of racism might not spare them, as it hasn't spared others. The Republican and the Democrat, afraid that the person sitting next to them in the pew might not love them because of their ideas, or because of their votes, that in this demonically polarized age we live in, our siblings might turn their backs on us because of these tribes we put ourselves and others in. Women, and indeed people of all genders, afraid of starting a family because we can't be sure that here in Indiana they'll have access to necessary health care, the health care they might need, that their own moral judgments made in the loving counsel of their families and doctors and pastors might soon be dismissed by a state government that thinks it knows better. Your curate, and maybe you too, afraid that the next time we gather just might be the time when our open doors and generous welcome are met by violence and disregard for human life. Real fears. 
and cannot lie to you, like Mr. Carson, I feel the shaking of the ground we stand on. But please, let me tell you, friends, please let me tell you about why we are here this morning and every Sunday morning. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm sorry it's taken me so long in this sermon to get there. I don't know how to preach to a parish for the last time. Our gospel this morning, this story in Luke's gospel, it's a hinge. It's a change in the story, a turning point. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Everything that Jesus has done so far in the story, his birth, his baptism, his calling of the disciples, his teachings, and healings, and miracles, they're all behind him. And now, Jesus turns his face. From this point on, he's walking to Jerusalem. And he knows what's at the end of that road. From this point on, Jesus is walking the road to the cross. And there's a shaking of the ground he stands on. And it's here, as Jesus is walking that final road to the cross, that we see in the starkest terms what it means to be his disciple. What it means to be his disciple in first century Palestine, and what it means to be his disciple in 21st century America. People meet him on the road, and they want to follow him. But Jesus is honest. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But he says, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, there's no time to lose. ...of the ground we stand on. When we're faced by our greatest fears, Jesus doesn't give us some fortress, it seems. He doesn't make our problems go away. He says to us, as he said to those on that road, follow me, follow me. And he leads us. He leads us along that road, that road that leads to his cross, along a road full of pain and abandonment and betrayal, a road to his death, and then against all odds, in the face of the worst fate imaginable, a road that leads through his death, through his death into new life, 
into resurrection, into his victory over death, not in spite of the cross, but on it. When we say yes to following Jesus down this road, we discover that we need no fortress to protect us from the real fears that threaten us in this life. And they are real fears, my friends. We need no fortress because Jesus himself is our fortress. Because Jesus himself gives himself over to the forces of sin and evil and death, those forces that assault us, and gives us life in return. Friends, no matter what you are afraid of this morning, and it is okay to be afraid. No matter what, God in Jesus will not Straight to the depths of our pain and our sorrow and our fears, that's where he goes. If you remember nothing else from this rambling sermon, remember this, that here, here we meet the one in whom you can place all of your hopes. Our friends, where else can we turn? This is what we must understand about Jesus, and what we must tell the world. We follow a God who loves us. And surely, surely that is the crucial difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and anything else in this world that claims to save us. We follow a God who loves us, who knows us, who sees us, so deeply, more deeply than anyone ever will. Who loves what he sees so much that he leaves the safe home of heaven and is born among us and lives among us and gives up that life for us. But the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, St. Paul said, that Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name which is above every name, so that at the under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ leads us into life, into redeemed life. It's not always a safe life. It's not always an easy life. But it is an abundant life. And what gifts there are 
on the road on which we follow Jesus. Father, Jesus led you and me to share this road together for the last two years. And I am so, so grateful to have been your companion, to learn about God's love in Christ from you, to discover it with you. This week, our roads will part. Our itinerary is no longer the same. But beloved, believe me, in the end, our roads will converge. But what are we all on but one road, led along and loved along by Jesus into life? Father Robert Hendrickson, the founder of St. Hilda's House, another community that I've called home, once wrote that when we are listening and responding to Jesus, the church becomes a call rather than a place. A call, a movement, in the truest sense of the word. And surely we learned that lesson in our first year together. This place, as holy as it is, holy place is made holy not by brick or stone or glass, but by the presence of the living God in it. God's presence in the sacrament and God's presence in the church, his body, his body which gathers in it, which prays in it, which praises in it place from which we go out, filled with the body and blood of Christ, to be the body and blood of Christ, to follow Christ on the road that stretches before us. So in a short time we will go from this place, and we don't know what lies before us. Hardship? Joy there will be. Love there will be. Even Mr. Carson will admit eventually that the nature of life is not permanence, but flux. So when there's a shaking of the ground we stand on, friends, know that Jesus Christ is our only fortress. The one who is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who loves you unconditionally and calls you.